Toolcase, the retail banking industry's preferred choice for real-time risk management and fraud detection. This is your host, Sam Piccolotti of Toolcase. Toolcase is a leading provider of real-time analytics, artificial intelligence solutions that have been empowering financial institutions to combat fraud and reduce their risk exposure since 1999. And you can learn more about Toolcase at www.toolcase.com. Today's co-host on our broadcast is Brett Johnson. If you knew Brett years ago, you were probably on one side or the other of the criminal criminal system. Uh, Brett Johnson was responsible for refining modern financial cybercrime as we know it today. After being placed on the United States most wanted list, captured and convicted of 39 felonies, Brett promptly escaped prison. Captured again, Brett served his time, accepted responsibility, and found redemption through his loved ones and the help of the FBI. Today, he's considered a leading authority on internet crime, identity theft, and cybersecurity. Brett speaks and consults across the planet to help protect people and organizations from the type of person he used to be. Uh, Once cited or known uh, uh, by the Secret Service as the original internet godfather, Brett Johnson built and ran the first organized cybercrime community called Shadow Crew. How are you doing, buddy? Sam, I'm doing good. I, I don't know what to think about that introduction, though. <laughs> uh, you know, I we we had the opportunity to to meet years ago at an ISMG conference, and I think it was New York City. And I saw you speak there, and you know, certainly an interesting background. And and uh, the guests may not know, but uh, we had the pleasure of also having you attend one of our uh, toolcase conferences in Vail, Colorado, a few years ago. You were part of the panel and and discussion there. Uh, And so I know your backstory. We gave a little bit of the bio there, but I think it'd be helpful for the listeners uh, to hear a little bit more. I know we we dropped a a little bit of a taste as to uh, what your background was, but why don't you go ahead and share for the folks. We'll get that out of the way, and then we'll start talking fraud. Sure. Well, you know, it's what is there to say? The United States Secret Service, of course, they called me the original Internet Godfather. The way I got the title, and you you alluded to that, 39 felonies being placed on the United States Most Wanted list. I had an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew. It was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels operate today. Now, what do I mean by that? What I actually mean by that is I helped to establish a trust mechanism that criminals could use because before Shadow Crew, there's actually three sites. There's Shadow Crew, Carter Planet, and Counterfeit Library. I ran Counterfeit Library and Shadow Crew. Guy named Dmitry Golubov, uh, Ukrainian dissident, he ran Carter Planet. What If you were looking to engage in crime before these three sites, specifically Counterfeit Library and Shadow Crew, if you were looking to engage in cybercrime before that, the only avenue you really had was an IRC chat session, this rolling chat board who you had no idea who you were talking to, if you could trust them, you know, if they if they were a cop or a criminal, if they had a product or service that you like credit cards or data that you were trying to buy, if they actually had the data or if they were just trying to rip you off, because let's be honest, everyone there was a criminal. So what Shadow Crew did is it it provided a trust mechanism for criminals to use. So now you had a large communication channel in the form of a forum type structure 
where people that were in different time zones could reference conversations days, weeks, months old. You could take part in those conversations, learn from those conversations, ask questions, learn from other people. You knew by looking at someone's screen name what the skill level of that person was. If you could network with them, if you could learn from them, if you could trust them. We had vouching systems in place, escrow systems in place, all with the idea of being able to, to work with, with another criminal who you had no idea what their real name was. You would never find out. You would never meet them in person. And if you think about it, I mean, that's, that's a big problem to solve. And I, I sounds like I'm proud of that. I'm not, but it's a big problem to solve in, in how do you engage in criminal activity with someone unless you can trust them and how do you trust them if you don't know who they are? So you have to have these mechanisms in place so you can do that. And that's, that's what shadow crew when I ran it, provided. And that's what we built was was that. And that's why I'm called the original Internet Godfather. The uh, 39 felonies, well, that had to do with refining modern financial cybercrime. If you uh, if you look at credit card theft, account takeovers, even the forerunners of synthetic fraud, uh, tax return identity theft, stolen identities, all that, that begins with this idiot that's talking to you today, Brett Johnson. Now, of course, I went to prison. Deservedly so, <laughs> and, and served. I, I was sentenced to seven and a half years, and I deserved every single day of it. Every single day, um, I was very fortunate. I was able to turn my life around. Very fortunate. I had the help of my wife. I had the help of the FBI, and the help of my sister that that really got me turned around on things. And today, I live a a very blessed life that I don't deserve. But I am damn sure grateful for. And you guys over at Toolcase, I mean, you know, you work with Toolcase, you know, you guys do a great job. You do. And uh, it's not just because I got to enjoy Vail, Colorado with you guys, which is a beautiful place, but you guys do a fantastic job. And it's it's my it, it is my complete honor to be on the show with you today. Well, it's mutual. And, uh, it, you know, folks, there's a deeper story. And um, I invite you all to go check out uh, Brett's Brett's. Uh, uh, website. You can find him at anglerfish.com. That's angler and fish with a P. Uh, and get more on Brett there. Brett, uh, let's let's get the folks um, caught up today on on kind of the backstory of fraud. I think you know there's so much going on. The world has gone almost completely digital uh, in in a very short period of time. Uh, what we just went through in 2020, um, you know, pushed really the limits of financial institutions especially to uh to build out their their digital enterprises and um and the fraudsters you know just took full advantage of that sitting and looming but what i don't think people understand is maybe the dark side or the insider's perspective of of you know how how, how the fraud enterprise system really works do sure. you mind sharing and talking about that yeah, let's say and, and, you know, just to elaborate a little bit more on that, when, when I say that the Secret Service called me the original Internet godfather, cybercrime before the sites that I built and ran came into being, cybercrime just really wasn't around. All right. And after that is when everything kind of pops up. So, you know, we ended uh, Shadow Crew makes the front cover of Forbes, August 2004 headline, Who's Stealing Your Identity? October 26, 2004, United States Secret Service arrested 33 people, six countries, six hours. I was the only guy who got away. They picked me up a few months later. Secret Service did, and they gave me a job, and I'm the idiot 
that decided to keep breaking the law from inside Secret Service offices for the next year until they find out about it. Then I take off on a cross-country crime spree, steal $600,000 in four months, wake up one morning, I'm on the United States Most Wanted list. I was in Las Vegas, Nevada at that point, and uh, I literally did this, Seb. I looked at I looked at the screen. I was li- reading the 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 blurb where I'd made the U.S. Most Wanted list. Looked at myself and I said, "Whoa, Mr. Johnson, you've made the U.S. Most Wanted list. What now?" And I said out loud, "I'm going to Disney World." So that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, went to Disney World like an idiot, <laughs> and lasted about six weeks. That's when the Secret Service came and got me, arrested me, sent to pre- sent me to prison. Then, of course, I escaped from prison after that. Um, I just want people to understand that. Um, first of all, when you're on when you're on the most wanted list, you are not a good guy. You know, you've got to do some really bad stuff to be considered the most wanted guy in the United States. So you're not a good guy, and I certainly was not a good guy back then. I, I like to think I'm a better person now. What we need to discuss is, you know, you ask how does cybercrime operate, and we're we're talking financial cybercrime, but it, it really it really crosses the verticals of all different types of cybercrime. The way what I'm going to talk about today, there are three necessities to successful cybercrime. Those three necessities are gathering data, committing crime, and then cashing out. Now, what do I mean by that? So, gathering data that is stealing or buying PII or stolen credit card information, uh, bank account logins, credit card logins, whatever the information is you need to then commit the crime. But it's also, gathering data also encompasses the tools that any criminal may need to help commit that crime. So it's proxies, because sometimes the criminal is in Uganda or maybe in California, and he wants to appear that he's in Florida or New York. So it's proxy addresses that allows him to spoof the computer's address. It's uh, spoof phone call numbers. So instead of you seeing the phone number that he's calling from, you see the phone number of the Social Security Administration or your local sheriff's office or something like that. So it's the tools that are being used as well. Okay, maybe it's a burner phone, whatever that is, whatever. The sure, and even even in the in the world of social media today, it's 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 accounts or profiles that aren't absolutely legitimate. Yeah. Whatever he needs to help do the second necessity of cybercrime. That's committing the crime. Okay. And then finally, cashing out. So gathering data, committing the crime, and then cashing out, putting literal cash in pocket. Now, that seems like that's kind of an easy thing, putting cash in pocket. Okay. But it's really not. If you think about it, it's really not. Because I can I can I can engage in BEC business email compromise. I can easily, and it's not difficult. I can easily have some payroll department wire two to three million dollars into a bank account that I've set up. That does not mean that I've profited two to three million dollars. Until I'm able to put the cash in pocket, I've not stolen anything. All right, so that that becomes a big, big issue for criminals. And we see that this year with the stimulus fraud that's been going on. Okay, and there's a reason, there's a real reason that criminals tend to target unemployment fraud over paycheck protection program fraud or, in, or SBA loans or anything else like that. And it's, it boils down to that laundering mechanism. How do you how do you cash out massive amounts of money? It becomes very difficult to do that. All right. So three necessities, gathering data, committing crime, cashing out. All three necessities have to work in conjunction. If they don't, the crime fails. Now, the problem. And here's the problem with all of this stuff. The problem is, is that one criminal 
He is not good in all three things. He's good in one thing. Sometimes he's good in two. Very rarely can he do three. And that, my friend, is why you see the forums, the dark web marketplaces, the, the groups, everything else. That's why they exist. They allow that one criminal who's good in one of those necessities to network with other criminals who are good in necessities where he or sometimes she is not. Um, Take, for example, the marketplaces. You know, you, that's where you go and buy stolen credit card details or bank account logins, all these other things. Now, those and are. I think, let me interrupt you here. I think the key to that that reference is marketplace. And what Absolutely. People need to understand is that, you, you know, this is where things are getting traded, whether it's data or it's tutorials on how to commit fraud. But the bad actors have a marketplace. Absolutely. And the marketplace, to give you an idea, on how big cybercrime is. Okay. Shadow Crew is shut down October 26, 2004. We ended with 4,000 members. Fast forward to 2017. 2017, website, a dark web website called Alpha Bay, which was the largest criminal marketplace on the planet at that point in time, is shut down by the federal government, actually by the world Interpol system. It ends with 240,000 criminals on there, okay? 240,000. Now, 2019, another website is shut down by law enforcement. 1.15 million members on there. So these, these numbers continue to increase. You, you, you continue to see more and more people deciding to make cybercrime their career. And the reason for that is... The, the entry to cybercrime, the entry to engaging in these crimes is extremely easy. You don't really need to know how to do anything because you've got these information providers, that first necessity of cybercrime. You've got the people who provide the data. You don't have to worry about how to steal data. Someone does it for you. That's their, that's their expertise. They don't know how to commit the crime. They don't know how to cash it out. But by God, they know how to steal the data and resell it. So you've got that necessity of cybercrime taken care of, okay? That's that's the way this thing works. So then the people who are looking to commit the crime, they say, well, I want to commit some credit card theft today. How do I do that? Well, let's go over here to Black Market or White House Market and, and see what they've got. And they find a credit card provider, start buying credit card details or bank account logins, or maybe they don't want that. Maybe they're trying to fig figure out how to set up fraudulent bank accounts so they can buy a tutorial that walks them through step-by-step step how to set up a bank account with any bank that you want to set up with. I've, I matter of fact, the other day I bought a, um, a tutorial from White House Market that uh, walked you through, it was weird, it, it was literally step-by-step step what each screen showed and everything else for um, the Naval Credit Union. All right. And it was a tutorial on how to set up an account right there, what you needed to click on, how much you needed to say you made, everything else in order to gain access to their federal credit union and set up an account there. That is not uncommon that that happens. Matter of fact, there was a bank uh, four or five years ago that a tutorial was being sold and the tutorial mentioned the actual name of the customer service agent that you wanted to speak to. When you, when you called in to set up an account, you wanted to ask for this guy because he will be the easy one to get past right there. So, Got the personal extension yeah. of, their, of their favorite inside actor. And that's, that's one of the things that people don't understand. The, uh, the, the exchange of information 
on the criminal side far exceeds the the collaboration on the good guy side it far exceeds that and you know the good guys they got good guys have got regulations they've got privacy concerns criminal doesn't give a damn about hipaa gdpr or anything else like that doesn't care so they they we understood with shadow crew that if we educated everyone across the board if we were open source with information that everyone at the end of the day becomes more knowledgeable, the group becomes better, and you end up profiting more. You steal more money at the end of the day. And that 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 same mindset exists today among criminal groups. You see this, this almost free exchange of information across the board. So if you're on the dark web, you'll have someplace like Dread, which is the dark web, which is the Reddit of the dark web. You'll see that free exchange of information. You'll see someone that will ask a question. You know, they'll say, how do I commit paycheck protection program fraud, PPP fraud? And they'll either ha have the answer already there on that forum or somebody will say, you know, this is how you do it or instant message me. We'll talk about it offline and they'll walk them through it. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is the bank you need to go through. These are this is how you cash this stuff out, everything else like that. OK, so you just hit on that that PPP front. And uh, if you think about that and how I mean, we're we're less we're less than a year into that. And and already the exploitation of of those dollars is I, I'm I'm sure it's got to be close to the billions now, and that's something that was developed and was mastered and uh, and and delivered to the marketplace in just a matter of months. Oh yeah, yeah. So and, and here's the interesting thing about about COVID and stimulus uh, programs and things like that before. Before last year, before last March came around, criminals had a sense of desperation about them. All right, there was always desperation on the criminal side of things. And I used to have this rule. I, I used to teach things on Shadow Crew all the time of never act in desperation because desperation leads to poor choices. Well, what happens with the pandemic and stimulus programs and everything else is all of a sudden, Criminals are no longer desperate. Now criminals are calm, cool, collected, and calculating. The desperation now is on the good guy side of things. And, I, and let me walk you through what I mean by that. So criminals were desperate with all three necessities of cybercrime. So with gathering data, criminals were, they needed to sell it or use it before the breach was discovered, before someone put a freeze on their credit or whatever was going on. So there was an element of desperation there. There was an element of desperation when it came to committing the crime. You wanted to make sure you were able to commit the crime and not get caught. So there's an element of desperation there. And then there was an element of desperation when it came to cashing out. Can I get the money out of the account before the account is frozen or flagged as fraud? All right. That was the desperation throughout the criminal side. And it was always a, a worry, a concern. But what happened? What happened is COVID-19. COVID-19 basically shut the United States economy down in about six weeks. So desperation ran rampant on the good guy side of things. The United States government, they said to themselves, you know, hey, we've got to do something. If we don't get some money out in the economy and help these businesses and help these people, our economy is going to go bottom up. So we've got to do something. So they instituted these programs without any security in place whatsoever. And I mean any security. Initially, to commit fraud with any of those programs, the only thing you needed was stolen PII, someone's social security number, date of birth. You put an address to it, you put a phone number to it, register, and you're making money all of a sudden. 
that's what happened. And it wasn't just the government that was desperate, retail merchants. So retail merchants, they estimated that they were going to lose 12.3% of business. It came in at 16.7%, 16.7% loss. You had 38 million Americans out of work. 38 million Americans worried about how they're going to pay the bills, if they're going to lose their house, how they're going to put food on the table, where they're going to get a job. You had all these people that were desperate all of a sudden. And all, what happens when desperation's there? You make poor choices. Interesting paradigm shift. Yeah, no doubt. So that, that and that's that's what happened is is that. So all of a sudden you had all these criminals, you know, the guys that were committing credit card fraud or what have you, they look and it was because of the Nigerians. <laughs> so these stories started to come out of Seattle, out of Washington State about these Nigerians that were hitting the unemployment benefit, the state unemployment benefit system. Mm-hmm. They ended up stealing a billion dollars. Now they didn't profit a billion dollars, but they damn sure had a billion dollars transferred out to bank accounts. This comes into that third necessity of cybercrime: cashing out, putting cash in pocket. That I've been talking about. All right, so. The Nigerians, they had all the data in the world. Like I said, you only needed PII. You only needed social security numbers and dates of birth. That's all you needed. Well, you could buy that all day long for two, three, four dollars a piece if you've not already got it free. All right. So they had all the data. They knew how to commit the crime because it was pretty easy. You just register and have an instrument for deposit. It's going to hit. What they didn't anticipate, what they didn't anticipate was how successful that crime was going to be. So all of a sudden, Nigerians start, you know, they scale it up where they're, they're filing hundreds and thousands of claims a day. They end up having a billion dollars sent out. Then what do they find? We can't get the money out in time. They, they ended up profiting about $300 million. That's what they were able to get out of accounts before the federal government and law enforcement had that money recalled. That gives you an idea. And, and that's a lot. That's a big payday. It's not a billion dollar payday, though. But that's the problem that you see across the board with cybercrime is how do you cash out massive amounts of money? And that's why, that is why unemployment fraud is the, it is the most important type of fraud for criminals to engage in right now, because you go down, you get a prepaid debit card and have up to $10,000 deposited on that pretty quick. All right. So you don't have to worry about setting up bank accounts or anything else. You use a prepaid account that accepts $10,000. And back when the stimulus was really hitting, the deposits were right at $10,000. So you could commit it one time or you could scale it up beautifully and commit a thousand returns a week, a thousand files a week, get a thousand cards, have to have a bunch of money mules, cash them out. Good to go. All right. Whereas if you're doing paycheck protection program fraud, sure, you can get $2 million and that's what the limit was. As long as you, the government, the government told people what to do to commit fraud. They said, hey, keep it under $2 million. It's all self-certified. We're not going to audit you. Oh, my God. Really? (laughs) (laughs) So they told them what they needed to do to commit fraud and not get caught. But the problem is, is yes, yes, you can commit that fraud and have $2 million sent to an account. How in the hell are you going to get $2 million out of a new account? You're not. You're not. If I were to go down to Chaser or any bank in town, and set up a brand new bank account, and a week later have $2 million deposited into that account, and then walk in the next morning, and or call them the next morning and say, oh yeah, say, can you uh, you wire that $2 million over to Coinbase for me? <laughs> They're not going to do that. They're going to say, you know what? 
we need to sit on that for about 30 days. Make sure everything's all right. And then that 30 days point is when law enforcement notifies the bank. No, no, no. We need that money back. All right. So it becomes a huge issue on getting money out of accounts on time. That's why when you look at the news stories, all these people that were caught committing PPP fraud, they use their own bank accounts to have the money wired to. Because that's mm -hmm. what you got to do. Mm -hmm. You got to have an aged account. You got to have an account that's had traffic through it, all this other stuff. So all these guys, they figure that out as they're committing the fraud. They're like, oh, I got to have the money deposit my own account. Well, that's all right. I won't get caught. <laughs> well, let, let's, because you, you hit upon a couple really interesting points. What, one is that the, uh, you know, the sense of, of urgency or desperation uh, has, has, you know, really uh, worked, worked to the, to the deficit of the good guys in, in, in recent uh, cases, especially with the COVID situation. Uh, the, the other piece that I, I want to I wanna mention and maybe even uh, dive into is that is data and the access to PPI and that kind of thing. I think what, what people and, uh, and maybe even financial institutions fail to consider or, or recognize is that you know, look, we've, we've all seen the breaches. We've had, you know, um, a, a myriad of, of them, you know, I think in 2019, it was over 60 billion records, whatever the number was, but it's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. What I think people forget, uh, because those, those uh, lawsuits are settled and the fines are instituted and banks and other, you know, and other uh, uh, institutions who've had those compromises pay out, uh, when, you know, when they're, you know, when they're victims of breach, if you will, but that data doesn't go away. <laughs> it continues to exist and trade within that marketplace that you've clearly defined. And so getting that PPI is as easy as can be. And so, you know, we run analytics and we do a, we do a tremendous job and have sophisticated intelligence to be able to query and, uh, and, and analyze data, but so do the bad guys, right? Absolutely. So those data sits are sitting out there. They could still query that information or correlate that information and and gain the PPI that they need for those attacks. Right. I think and, the, and understand. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but but I understand yeah. that the one of the big things, one of the big things that a lot of people don't understand is that on the bad guy side of things, information is real time. All right. It's real time. It's That's not, what I was calling. Yeah. It's not 48. Two weeks late, it's real time. Hey, Ohio is shut down right now. Don't commit fraud in Ohio's unemployments. Where are we going to switch to? We're going to switch to Kentucky right now. Everybody's hitting wow. Kentucky's. It's real time. So you have to have, and Toolcase does this, right? I mean, you have to have real-time data on the good guy side. If you don't, guess what? Criminals love that gap. They walk right into that gap where you're not where you're not well informed in real time, and they're they're eating you alive during that gap. So you have to have real time data. The real time data, and, and you know, you mentioned the uh, the PPP loans, and how people are using their own accounts. And the other aspect of that is, uh, you know, having having some type of of artificial intelligence or historical analysis that can look back at at records of these individuals first to identify. Maybe they're not even a business owner and they're collecting that money, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> or they, they've not had a deposit of $8,000 in the past. So to be able to correlate that information quickly when those, when those funds hit those accounts, because they're using their own personal accounts, when those funds hit those accounts, 
to be able to analyze that information, as you mentioned, in real time with the intelligence say, this is unusual. This is not typical of this particular customer or, uh, or, or member in the case of a, you know, a credit union. Uh, but, but those analytics often uh, wane and are challenged to put all three of those things together. Uh, you know, take, takes a lot of effort and, and pretty sophisticated solutions. And I think the, the FI industry is, is still working to catch up on those, on those pieces. I mean, you're right. You're right. They are. I mean, typically what happens and it happened, it's like a, it's like stimulus frauds, a poster child for, for explaining this stuff. But typically what happens is a system, a merchant government, whatever is hit with fraud. So they come in, they say, well, we've got to do something. What can we do? And they tend to implement security piecemeal. Well, we'll try this. We just need to try this. You know, this is where they're hitting. We'll try this. That's the wrong thing to do. You know, I talk about this all the time. The bad guys have a toolbox and in their toolbox, they have a variety of tools with which to attack you. They have the low level tools, you know, the social engineering, the spoof phone calls, all that crap. They've got the high level SQL server attacks, everything else like that. You as a defender, whether a person or a company, you need a toolbox too with a variety of tools in there. You got to have it. You got to have it. But the most important tool in there, the most important tool that you're ever going to see is that data tool. And again, unemployment fraud illustrates that. Now, credit card fraud illustrates that as well. When, when people are first trying to start stopping credit card fraud and the same thing happens with unemployment fraud. So what happens? Unemployment systems are eaten alive. States, every state loses billions of dollars. All right, billions of dollars that could be used to help the citizens of that state. Billions of dollars that will never be re returned or, or they'll never get that back. Even if they catch the guys and they're not going to catch the guys, even if they catch the guys that committed the crime, the guys have already spent the money. They bought the damn Rolex or the Lamborghini or whatever they're buying with it. That money's gone. The, the good that that money could have done is gone. So the states get eaten alive. They say we need to do something. So what do they do? The first thing they do is they say, well, we'll ask KBA, knowledge-based authentication questions. Are you kidding me? The security questions that you have to have to open up an account or change existing information? Well, guess what? Criminals have had that data for decades, for decades. You said it yourself, this data never changes, never changes. You know, your social security is never going to change. Your mother's maiden is never going to change. Nothing like that. Well, that those those questions were easy to answer. So that didn't stop any of the fraud. So then what do they do? Well, tell you what we'll do. Why don't we uh, why don't we require them to send in photos or scans of identity documents, proof of address, and maybe a bank statement. That'll fix them. Well, guess what? Criminals have been, been doing that for decades too. You could buy a, you could buy a package of these Photoshop or, or scan documents for anywhere from $25 to $50. So that didn't stop anything. So that was the next step. Then they kept going step by step. They got to identity verification. Then they, they went through a few steps of that as well. Now, finally, 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 a few of these states, nowhere near all of them, a few of these states have started to say, you know, you know, come to think of it, maybe. Maybe we should be looking at a lot of the data that's that's surrounding these files too. You know, like the velocity, the uh, 
deposit instruments, the uh, IP ranges, the uh, device information. Maybe we need to be looking at a lot of that. When the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, is they should have been looking at all of that to begin with. You come in with, with a variety of tools, data being the most important, because without data, you're, you're flying blind. You are completely flying blind. You come in with a variety of tools and you stop the fraud. You come, you come with so many different, different tools that the criminals all of a sudden are like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Where do we even start? But they yeah. don't do that. They do piecemeal, and piecemeal is easy yeah. enough. No, it's 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 hard to uh, it's hard to train a holistic uh, mentality it when, is. It, when it comes to um, trying to mitigate fraud, uh, you know, across across an enterprise. Uh, we're, we're fortunate in that you know we read the data that you're talking about. Read the data in real time. We have the integration of capabilities to bring in you know multiple data sets. Look at at the IEP information, whatever whatever data might be available. Analyze that. Apply a certain level of intelligence in real time and deliver a solution. But Absolutely. It, but that but that's a limited approach across the industry. I think you know you, you hit on a couple topics. We've got more to discuss in the future. Um, PPP loan fraud really very problematic across across the uh, uh, the United States right now. I, I know financial institutions uh, combating on a regular basis. People don't realize there is that uh, that that's money that is backed through the SBA. Uh, so banks are still taking a hit. Federal government, somebody's got to pay for this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's going to pay for it. The cost, the cost of fraud trickles right back down to the consumer, right. back to you and I. Uh, it's a big problem. Brett Johnson, good to chat. We've got more to talk about in the future on, uh, on broadcast sessions. Look forward to more of them. Sam, thank you. I appreciate it. Talk soon. Learn more about the Toolcase suite of real-time AI products and how to protect your institution from fraud today.